0: Welcome to the Breakout Growth
1: Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now here's your host, Sean Ellis.
0: In this week's episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, Ethan Garr and I find out what it's like to immerse yourself in FedExR's world of virtual reality. This continues our theme of focusing on the health and fitness industries. If you missed it, go to breakoutgrowth.net to see our growth study that we just published this last week on Mir, as well as get access to the previous episodes covering some of the other uh, health and fitness companies like like Noom, for example, a a really uh, breakout growth uh, weight loss app that personally has helped me lose a lot of weight. So I've been (laughs) excited about that. So FitXR, if you're not familiar with it, they combine fitness and virtual reality in immersive boxing and dancing games that could very well change the way you exercise. Our guest this week is FitXR's product lead, Nick Scoburn. And
1: uh, Ethan, what did you find interesting about this interview with Nick? I love this interview. I mean, it's such a neat platform. I wanted to go out and buy one right after. But VR is really in its infancy, and the platforms that are driving it. Steam, Sony, Oculus, they're creating this totally new ecosystem. So it's kind of like the beginning of the app store. So it offers some really interesting opportunities and challenges for new companies and, and startups.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the um, the advantages are, are pretty clear. I mean, if you look at companies like Evernote, they really grew in the early days by getting onto platforms early. And so that's one of the benefits of getting on a platform early is that you can uh, you, can, you can intercept people as they're still exploring the platform. They have not established habits yet. So you can, if, if you can get into their way of using that platform, you're going to get a lot of uh, an ability to acquire those people and retain them. Um, and then you know, if you can figure out growth before other people can, you are going to be able to really be a trailblazer and probably not face a lot of competition because there's not really well-documented playbooks for operating within that platform.
1: Yeah. But with that also, of course, come some disadvantages. Like right now, those platforms aren't offering like free trials and recurring subscriptions. So they've got to navigate and create a model that works within that ecosystem as it exists today, and also plan for a future that probably will be evolving every day and evolving quickly. So they're doing a great job with it. You know, they've done an awesome job building community and tapping into that community to drive word of mouth, which is something you and I always talk about as a principle of breakout growth, really, you know, being an advocate for your customers, getting people involved, you know? Um, so it's really, it's cool stuff. It's, and they're moving really quickly. I think it's a great growth story.
0: Yeah, and and I think just based on, you know, probably the, one of the big drivers of that is, is kind of taking advantage of the, um, the fact that you can't do recurring uh, recurring payments on the platform right now, FitXR is able to, or maybe it's a disadvantage in a sense. But you know, as a consumer, it was really exciting for me to know there's a one-time fee of $29 that I could potentially have this great fitness program that I could use for the next year, versus you know a typical gym fee or even things like Mirror or uh, Peloton where you're, you're paying a monthly fee that's that's pretty high.
1: Yeah, I mean, this really could be the new way people work out. We just don't know yet. Um, but the low price point is certainly, there's less barrier to entry and it creates some excitement for it.
0: Yeah, I, I got super excited about actually grabbing my Oculus and, and checking this out only to find out that um, my Oculus is now outdated to the point where it doesn't support, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't wait, it's not compatible. So, um, I, But I was tempted literally to spend $300 buying one because the price point is so exciting there. But the fact that I've recently bought two mirrors, and and have a Peloton bike. It, it was just it was uh, kind of overkill. There's, I'm 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 not using the stuff
1: I have. So. I hope this I hope this isn't just a hint and like your birthday is coming up. But
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I'm excited to jump into this. But um, before we do, I wanted to let everyone know that the next cohort of Go Practice starts March 10th. And um, Ethan, you were actually in our last cohort, so it'd be great to to hear from somebody who went through it. How how you would describe it? What what did you get out of it?
1: Yeah, I'm a raving fan. Uh, it's a truly immersive way to learn growth, and you know you're doing it in a simulation um, and live sessions. Uh, the live sessions with you guys in the last cohort were really fantastic. Um, learned so much from you and Oleg during the process. Um, but what I really love most about it is through that cohort, I met a lot of great people. There's a Facebook community. Um, it's a way for people who are like-minded about growth to really engage each other and learn from each other um, and put the learnings and the and the challenges to work in the real world. So I, I loved it. I think the simulation way of learning is great.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely unique. And, and I think in particular, I've learned a lot from Oleg, a former data scientist from Facebook. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of complementary skills to, to my skills. And that, that brings me to the point that, uh, one of, one of the challenges that we, you know, we're, we're constantly working feedback is any good team should be doing around growth. And, and we did get the feedback that um, it is really time consuming for people. And so trying to figure out how do, how do you have time to learn all the disciplines that you need to be good at to be good at growth. So anyone who's listened to a lot of our episodes is going to see how multifaceted growth is and the things that you need to get right. Um, so how, how have we addressed that? We, we actually um, are just in the process of launching a new skills assessment that takes about 45 minutes to go through, but it really helps a prospective student understand where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and then we've we've adjusted the course so that they can fast forward through the areas where they're strong, even skip some of the live sessions if they're really strong in those areas, and then focus their time and energy in the areas that they need to brush up on and get better at. So, if you're uh, if you're interested in, in taking part in this next cohort that starts March 10th, go to gopractice.io. So let's uh, dive right in and find out what is driving sustainable growth for FitXR. Sounds
1: good. Let's do it. Hey, Nick.
0: Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you on. I'm also joined by my co-host Ethan Garr. Welcome Ethan. Hey guys. All right. So, um obviously this is a podcast about growth and we really want to dive into growth, but before we can get into the the growth story, we really want to make sure that um we and the audience understand what your uh what, what your business is all about. And so why don't we start with the product? Can you can you give us a little bit of background on what uh and how do you actually generally say it, Fit XR.
2: Yeah, FitXR is perfectly fine. Um, okay.
0: So, yeah, what, what FitXR is and, and the problem that it solves.
2: Sure. So, FitXR is a VR workout application. So, think about what Peloton is doing in kind of like in the physical world with hardware. We're doing in the VR space. So, prerequisite for us is you need to have a VR device. But... We are like accessible on all of our like all the platforms from Oculus to PlayStation VR to Steam platforms. So we're available everywhere. Love to be like platform agnostic.
0: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a VR headset can be kind of a a little bit bulky. Is there are there some that are maybe a little less bulky that you recommend or or do, do they all tend to work pretty well?
2: They tend to all work pretty well. I mean, it depends. Like, we offer two types of workouts for the time being. So one is a boxing workout, which your head is should fairly be remain stable. Um, and the other one is dance. And, like, dancing with a VR headset, like the smaller headset, usually the better the results. So people get quite intense when they actually, like, dance in a workout. But it's it's something they really love to do. And we've seen some, like crazy high scores like happening during dance, which we can't really explain how they happen. Cool. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, for me personally, I've found myself getting sweaty, killing zombies. So it, it makes sense that, that there could be some, uh, pretty good, good workouts with, with a VR headset. And, um, and, uh, for what it's worth, when I'm when I'm killing zombies, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not worrying about the the big bulky headset. So maybe that's an imagined <laughs> problem anyway. Um, so and then what what kind of led to the decision to to do this? Um, I mean, it, it's uh, like c- compared to other exercise programs, how how is this really different?
2: Yeah, um, I think it's like it starts off with like our like co founder story, right? Right. So we have two co founders, Sam and Samir. Uh, and they actually met at business school, uh, and they were exploring different ideas they had, uh, at the time. And at the time, like VR was still in, it's kind of like in infancy was something that was more a proof of concept type of situation and boxing. When you actually look at the VR headset for those that have never actually tried a VR headset, you have these two controllers that you put in both of your hands. And naturally you're kind of like, yeah, I don't want to slice something with those controllers you want to shoot something with those controllers I you not want to punch something with it. So it was just kind of like such a natural fit of creating a game that was punch-based or boxing-based. And then it kind of like evolved into like this bigger idea of like, how do we recreate a whole workout from different workout styles into the VR space? How do we fully immerse yourself uh, into a VR space where we take... Uh, a boxing exercise that you went to the gym at some point, and now we put you on a different planet, or on a beach, or on top of a skyscraper, and all these cues come flying at you, and you're just trying to actually maintain your streak. So it's something that's people really enjoy experiencing, but also like because it's so immersive, it's you feel you're in a completely different world, and it still is provides the same workout as you have in a gym.
0: Yeah, I I actually had the CEO of Mirror on um, several months ago before their acquisition, and I ended up buying a, a Mirror device to, um, to just basically during the pandemic to to let my family get a little exercise. <laughs> and I did the boxing and was shocked that it it, it winded me in about five minutes. And um, and I play soccer multiple days a week, so it's not like I'm not. Out of shape but i can see how an immersive boxing experience could be an even better workout and probably a lot more fun than seeing myself and shadow boxing with my image in a mirror
2: (laughs) yeah definitely like i mean i run like five kilometers a day and i'm like a runner for like 10 years and when i the first time i played our game i was kind of like wait my arms are sore like how is this happening (laughs) like and it's also like because it's such a simple mechanic people want to keep on coming back, right? And you want to beat your high score and beat somebody else's high score consistently. So we have that like network effect, like already built in.
1: Yeah, I actually, I remember the first time I took a in-person boxing class. I don't think I've ever been as sore as I was. It was like a week of being sore after that. But uh, (laughs) it's it's really interesting because you're at the intersection of gaming, VR and fitness. Do you find like, users gravitate more to the gaming side, more to the fitness side as a combination of both? I think it's
2: currently a combination of both. And it's actually like, it's changing. And we see this every year. Uh, if you were to ask me the same question, like about a year ago, I would definitely say our demographic is purely gaming-based. But that's like how headsets have actually evolved. And like, if we touch on like the subject of headsets, it's and, like, this is where like full props to the Oculus team and what they're actually pushing uh, is it's becoming more mainstream. Like It's almost like think about like where smartphones were before kind of like Apple launched the iPhone or even like the first kind of like two or three generations of the iPhone. That's kind of like where the VR um, hardware is, I would say right now. So there is kind of like you almost can see it on the horizon of like, there's gonna be a device that's gonna like explode in terms of sales and be on the level of an Xbox or of a Sony PlayStation. Um, it hasn't happened yet for all the publicly available data that people can actually see, but I think it's generally there. And like when people, like if you ever seen like, or like for you both, the first time you try VR and a VR headset and you're fully immersed, you're kind of like have a really wow moment that like I've never, I haven't had since I actually had my first smartphone probably.
0: Hmm. So, um, was that a concern? So it looks like you've been with the company about a year. Was, was that a concern when you came in that, that, uh, Maybe the platform hasn't hasn't gotten that big yet in terms of what you could grow into, or or did was it big enough that you thought oh there's plenty of headroom within the existing size of the platform and it and it will grow over time?
2: I think a bit of both. Like I mean, there's obviously like obviously we have some positive fear. Um, like we know there's currently there's three dominant platforms, right? Oculus, Sony, and uh, Steam. Um, And that might change in the future, right? There's rumors from Apple entering the space. There's rumors of like other uh, big kind of like hardware brands also like entering the space. And therefore we want to kind of like remain platform agnostic um, and not tie ourselves too much to a singular platform. But we definitely see that it has been growing. Like, and every time there is a public kind of like announcement of like sales of hardware devices, you actually see those numbers Quite like exponentially going up, so therefore, like we're kind of like we're very confident in like where the market is headed, and we just need to play a part, right? Part of it is being the first mover in the space. Part of it is also like if we don't provide a good experience, nobody's gonna download us. So we provide a great
1: product. You know, when Sean interviewed uh, the CEO of Mirror, I remember one of the key things that drove the development of that was it was something you could do in your house that didn't take up a lot of space and. Uh, Oculus obviously takes up even less space um, and it's super portable um, so I would imagine that the future will meet, will allow people to take their workouts and their and their gaming and their fun with them wherever they go um, but obviously that's changed in the face of COVID. No one went anywhere in the last year. Has COVID impacted the business? Has, have, has that driven growth? Oh massively
2: like I think since the first kind of like lockdowns began March of last year, March of April last year, we've seen like really fast astronomical growth to a point where we needed to like adjust our own internal operations and development teams to actually like being being able to cater that growth. Um, I think like even Oculus, they've admitted they were like sold out like at some points on months on end, um, which is a really great thing, right? But also that means the market is not growing that as much as you actually want it to grow. But yeah, definitely like knock on wood, we're one of like the areas that was very positively impacted by COVID. And since kind of like lockdowns kind of like ceased in like summer and then going into autumn, we actually haven't seen like a drop-off. So for us, it's definitely been like a stepping stone and really a good one. So we've managed to retain most of those users.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that was sort of my next question is what happens after this? But it sounds like... uh... The new normal could be very good for you as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's like, like I said, like think about it really as best boxing exercise you had, uh, like in real life. Now we take that into VR with the music that you like, with really kind of like transporting you into a completely new world and it's you still get the same workout.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm personally super excited to try it now that I understand it a little bit better. I uh, it's interesting because just yesterday my wife said, "I really need to get back to the gym." They've just opened back up, and I'm still interacting with my parents a bit, and so um, I'm I wasn't thrilled about the idea of her going back to the gym. Our, both of our kids are in college, so we're we're pretty isolated as it is. And, um, I, I, literally got to the point where I, when I said I bought a mirror, I actually bought it for my, my mother and my, my daughter was staying with my mother at the time. And so, um, I, I was on the fence of actually getting her, getting her something. And then I think one of the things that I found is I, like, I have a Peloton as well. And one of the things that I found is once you, once you have a really good interactive at home workout, it's. Pretty darn convenient, you know. It's like suddenly the the you know half hour or forty five minutes that you're putting toward a workout is entirely around the workout instead of even if you're really close to the gym and you're fifteen minutes each way and maybe you add shower and you you know before long you're you're eating up an hour and a half of your day where um, you know a convenient at home workout is is great and then obviously what you guys are doing is sounds like it would be really fun too which um, I I would say not. Not many workouts are actually fun, so um, that, that, that's the main reason I'm, I'm excited to try it. But I'm curious when you look at kind of pre-pandemic, and I know you, most of your time there has been during the pandemic, but um, what, what some of those key growth learnings are that you've, you've had along the journey with, with FitXR, particularly in terms of how to grow something in the, in the VR world and, um, yeah, what some of those key growth learnings would be really interesting.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think VR world, like, in, in general, is, like, is such an interesting world because it feels like so so much in its infancy, but then you can also, like, draw parallels to where, like, the uh, Apple App Store or the Google Play Store were in, like, 2010, right? So you're kind of like, oh, I see why you guys do are doing this. So it's very much like that. So things that actually frustrate you that, like, A-B testing in a VR space is extremely limiting at the moment. But you're kind of like, so it was in mobile. (laughs) when The whole thing kind of like kicked off. But I think like for our biggest kind of like growth lever that we like rely on is is simply our community. So inherently, we've since the beginning set up quite a big um, Facebook group where people have actually joined um, and they've interacted with each other. Like... Really, really well, like challenging each other, playing multiplayer games with each other to even like actually like sharing tips of like how to lose weight in terms of like their diets. and it's really kind of like it's fueled this kind of like growth of people being really connected to us. and we do generally like connect with them, run challenges. So in January, we ran like a new challenge that she had to complete every single day. Um, and it really has like this community feel where it's also like where people, because we figured out why do people like to go to the gym. And the main kind of like insight that our customers and our users actually gave us is one, I like the workout that I'm doing. Two, I get really attached to like to my instructor and I would actually follow my instructor if that instructor changes gyms. that was a big insight for us. And then three, is I like working out in a class because there's people around me and I feel challenged and I like to push myself. And we're kind of like, how do we replicate all those three things, right? And great workout, cool. That's game mechanics, gamification, and we, we rely on the hardware for that. You have two, the instructors, this is where we still want to do a bunch more work and this is like full credit to for example peloton has done an amazing job here of like with their instructors to a point where some of their instructors are actually bigger like social media influencers than the brand peloton um and like then the third is the community right and like that's okay that's something we can definitely replicate in like in a vr space and in like in a digital space and we actually like really focused on those the community and uh game like core game engine essentially uh first. Now we really want to also like tackle like how do we tackle instructors? How do we actually get you that you can really become an instructor? Like uh, like be attached that person only wants to do like workouts from that instructor because you trust those workouts are tailored towards you.
0: Right. Right. And, 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 you know, the, the fact is like chemistry, you're going to, you're going to click with some people and you're not going to click with other people. And it it brings you back if you've got that, that strong chemistry. But, but you know, I want to latch onto one of the things that you said, because I think it's instructive for, for people kind of in any growth role, which is you talked about being, being in an early platform. And I think, I think there's a, a lot to that in terms of, uh, you know, some, something like Facebook ads at this point, or even SEO it's, there's a lot of experts in those areas now. And so you're competing against a lot of people who have it figured out. So it's not just figuring it out, but once you figure it out, it's, it's going to be really crowded where an emerging platform, if you can figure it out first, there's, there's a ton of opportunity for you to really grow with, within that platform. And just a, a really weird kind of side parallel to that, I uh, I had the, the similar thinking the other day when I was trying to get my parents a um, a COVID vaccine, and we, you know they had just announced in in my county, you know how this how this uh, online app was going to work for for booking the appointments and try to get it, and my whole thing was okay. I need to bring my my kind of growth mindset to this. Everyone's <laughs> going to be trying to figure out this platform. I need to figure it out before anyone else to get my parents in it. I have the small window of opportunity If I don't book them an appointment within the next week. I'm probably going to have to wait a month or more to get them an appointment. And, you know, kind of reading everything I could find and trying and experimenting, I was able to get them appointments and get them the shot. And I have, I have a lot more peace of mind now that they have that first vaccine. But it's just, it is really interesting of kind of being first in something that there's a lot more figuring out rather than just sort of reading proven playbooks. But if you can figure out before others, there's there's a lot of headroom for growth.
2: Yeah. I mean, there, there are no playbooks. Like currently, like, if you look at the VR space, you have one dominant game, right? Which is Beat Saber. And that's, like, a great proof of concept. But also, like, that game is fairly, like, limited in terms of, like, whether they actually can evolve it through, right? So, like, think about, to a degree, I go, like, always compare it to Fruit Ninja on mobile apps, right? So like, it was a great success, a massive success. And they made, like, a lot of, like, made a lot of you very users very happy with that kind of, like core game mechanic of slicing things, but they you can't really evolve that, right? It's not a service. It's it's a game, right? And like a game has its own limitations of where do you actually want to push it. So I think like, you're right. Like in VR space right now, there is no playbook. So it's like on people like me and like my counterparts in other like game studios to figure out how do you make this grow? Like where what's kind of like the next grow hack per se, right? It's like, what's the next farm of the Facebook, uh, newsfeed. Right. So do you have
0: some other friends that you're comparing notes with each week or you kind of, it's a solo journey where you're trying to figure it out?
2: We have a couple of people like, we like, again, like the industry is so much in its infancy that kind of like growth within kind of like a product or a marketing role is still very early on. So a lot of like, of not just our competitors, but like other game studios that are completely diff- like focused on different stuff, they still focus mostly on their core gamification, right? On their core game. They haven't really figured out, okay, how do we actually do growth? How do we do marketing? It's getting a lot better over the last six months. And there's been like, probably like some really great hires that I know of in the industry. And like those we're like, we're in touch and we compare notes, but it still is very, very early days.
1: So what learnings from your audience is shaping your own playbook? What are you getting from them?
2: Yeah, so I think it's really so our audience is very diverse. Um you would expect like a typical gamer audience, essentially, right? Like mid 20s, predominantly male, um affluent, and like what is like what do they actually like? But like what we actually see from our audience is very much like A lot of them are a lot more mature. Uh, We actually have a pretty big, like 40% of our users are actually females, Uh, which for me was very surprising that like VR is really kind of like, like you wouldn't expect that, like specifically like VR being tailored to gamers. Uh, They're predominantly male in the past, Uh, but that's like drives our like content decisions very much so. So when we decide of like what boxing class or dance class should we make, uh, we take big input from our communities, like what they like, what they don't like, um, to actually get the choreography right. And we want to test out in the future as well of like, how do we make like a potential beta group of users where we actually pre-release stuff and we actually get feedback like that. Um, But it's definitely like something that, has shaped us very much so and we learned a ton of like oh people for example don't like like extreme long sequences of like only jabs they like to like variety and that kind of like informs our thinking when it comes to like con- like content creation which ultimately drives our retention right we as every company have an aha moment like at the onboarding journey and like we want to reach that aha moment quite fast
1: are you able to actually engage them in the like and learn from them in the games themselves, or are you using surveys and other tools?
2: Uh, definitely. Like we, we do it in the game as well. Uh, oh, we awesome. re- heavily rely on the data. Like this is where we actually get like uh, have a way like an upper step like compared to like a boxing studio that caters towards uh, like in real world because we know precisely how accurate you are with your left hand versus your right hand. Either you have a left stance or a right stance. Like we know exactly of like how you actually behave, and we can actually give you that information back to you to actually improve over time.
0: So, so for the data that you're studying, is that something that you had to kind of build your own data platform, or or do things like Amplitude and Mixpanel work in in uh, an immersive VR environment?
2: Uh, we're an Amplitude company, so shout out to Amplitude for kind of like working with us. Like they've been really like a great partner, but uh, yeah, we, most of our stuff is either directly stored into our Redshift database, and then we run SQL queries to query stuff or uh, is stored in Amplitude and we just do business analysis on it.
1: So what does growth look like over the past few years?
2: Uh, pretty, pretty exponential. I think it started off with like proof of concept. Like, and I think like that's, like, I mentioned that like a couple of times today already, because boxing, when you have the two controllers, is just a, such a natural feel that you want to try. We definitely seen in our early years people going to the app stores, searching for box, and then kind of like finding us and like downloading and trial in the game. But we've, what have you actually seen over like since the pandemic started is people trying t- to use VR more to actually maintain their f- fitness, right? And we've seen that even like uh, kind of like hardware developers are catching on to that, so oculus announced a couple of months months ago oculus move, which tracks you tracks your movement across all of like the apps within the oculus uh, VR space and it gives you a target of like how many minutes do you actually need to move and like how active you were. So we see definitely there is like there's been a fun like fundamental shift of like proof of concept to now people. Like thinking and actually using VR is their primary method of actually keeping you know, keeping up in shape.
0: So, so I saw that you raised the seven and a half million dollars Series A. When when did you guys raise that?
2: Uh, was uh, late last year, so late two thousand twenty.
0: Okay, so so based on a lot of the results that you you were able to achieve during the pandemic, I mean, was is it a relatively expensive? Uh, to, to build in, in VR? I mean, had you, did you have a pretty good, uh, amount of money that you had raised before that to kind of hire the team, build out the product and, and, and get, get to that product market fit where you were scaling or, or was that more kind of bootstrapped until you raised that series? A?
2: Yeah. I I think that's a great question. Like it's definitely like VR is a space it's currently, it's expensive to develop in, right? Like it's not, I make a mobile app. It's, these days, it's fairly easy. You can even do it with no code tools and you can go completely to publishing the app as well. Um, VR, because it's in a 3D space, it's a lot harder. And like, you do see even AAA studios uh, struggling with it. Um, and that's part of the reason I think, or I believe personally, they actually shied away a bit of, from it. The other one is actually like, what is the market size for them to actually enter the get, enter the scene? But we now seen more and more triple A studios actually entering, uh, entering the scene, which is great for the whole industry. Uh, but it's definitely not something that's fairly easy to kind of like launch compared to like to a mobile app. So for us, we're still a are like a sixty something team. Most of like half of the team is engineering. Um, That's not even counting like product or data science. Um, And that's something that we actually like need to kind of like maintain as well. Like VR allows us to scale very, very fast with a fairly small team. But in order to start off, you need quite a big size team like already to actually do something that's like very much usable. I think the days even in VR of like proof of concept type of games and experiences are Largely over people or users want to have more immersive things.
0: Right. So, so have you been generating revenue kind of through the whole through, through say all of 2020 and, and was that revenue enough to, to kind of uh, build that team or, or had you raised some money prior to that series A? Uh,
2: We went through a seed round before already. So we definitely have like our growth targets, which we want to hit. Like we, believe the industry to be like massive in a couple of years time and that's something where we actually want to raise venture capital as well uh in order to kind of like to help us get there we think we have a great product market fit now um uh, now it's for us to kind of like figure out expansion and also like to really work out um the details of the game and to like polish everything up so everybody has almost we want to be at a place where you have a like for like experience if like in in the VR world and in the real world.
1: Cool. So what is, how are you guys making money? What's the business model today?
2: So the business model today, and this comes back to like the whole thing around um, the VR space being very early on where the mobile space as well was. Like currently the only way you actually make money is you are a one-off purchase. So, uh, and that's what we are, our business model is currently right now as well.
1: And that's, so and that's, all, because, that's because you're limited by Oculus, that's the only way you can monetize with Oculus now, that, is that the driving force there?
2: Correct, so uh, Oculus currently only supports that business model. You could do off-platform subscriptions, but that, like, like in our mind, causes a lot of uh, friction points. Because you would at some point need to take off the headset to either validate your email or to enter your credit card details, probably on your mobile device, if not your desktop device, and then kind of come back into the VR world. And that's kind of like so intrusive that you interrupt the whole kind of like onboarding flow. We would rather give you like a better experience and keep you in the VR world from like from the time you start the app to like to when you're finishing your workouts.
0: And and so does VR work like like... Mobile platforms, in the sense that you that they take a cut of, of that one off sale, or, or is it is it different?
2: It's exactly the same. Yes. Okay. So all kind of like the platforms would take a certain percentage, which differs, but they would take a certain percentage of every sale. Cool.
0: Now that that uh, that's interesting. I mean, there's there's so much in VR that I have to learn still. So some <laughs> of that stuff may seem kind of basic, but I'm I'm sure other people no, might worries.
1: have that same question. So. Nick, what are the big challenges you guys are facing? Where do you, you, know, what's in, what are the headwinds to growth at this point?
2: Yeah, um, I think it definitely is, part of it is market size. Like we are early on, uh, we are available on free platforms, but we're bounded by that, right? We're, we're not in a world where if we were to be a mobile app, you have 5 billion smartphone devices. That's a big market. Like, we don't have that. Like, we still count our devices in millions, not in 10 millions yet, I would say. Um, and that is something that, like, everybody has the same market and, like, and you're battling for it. Um, and I think that's will change over time. But, like, I think it's a big, it's hard for us to find the balance of, when to actually employ some growth, like proven growth tactics from playbooks from other industries, right? So we talk about performance marketing, for example, it's very hard to say, okay, when is the time for us to actually start doing this where we have enough, big enough audience to actually start optimizing things. Whether like if we have a too small audience, we're just gonna like kind of like spray and pray approach, essentially hitting everyone and hoping that something will actually stick. Um, so that's definitely, it provides its own challenge of like, how do we best utilize our own time of, and what growth initiatives should we actually spend our time on?
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned that it's a, it's a, a one-off fee. Do, is there a, a trial or how did, how do they know they want to pay that money? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I think it's like, again, it's different per platform, but let's stick with Oculus because majority of people uh, listening to this will most probably have an Oculus device. Um, It's currently on one-off fee. There are some companies that offer a demo, but there's also like with mobile as well. Like if you buy a game and you try it and you really don't like it, there is a mechanic that Oculus will refund you your money as well. Um, So there's kind of like, Technically, a no-risk scenario where, like, oh, I really don't like this game. I can get my money back. It's a possibility. We haven't really seen that, and like, that's been like some like a very encouraging factor for us that we've seen because, again, like, most of our growth comes from our community. So, from us, like, already a lot of people are pre-sold when they actually buy the game already. So that's been like a really, really like again, knock on wood, a blessing almost. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so if, you know, we've, we've touched in a few different places about growth. You've, you've talked about kind of early on the platform, community, being able to, to really build an affinity with a, with a particular instructor. Um, Is there anything that you would say is kind of the, the number one factor that's, that's driving growth success to date? Like, is, is it product market fit? Is it, is it these influencers that you've talked about? I mean, there, there's, there's so many different things you've touched on. Is there one that stands out above the rest?
2: I think it's definitely a product market fit. Like, I think considering where the space is right now, you really need something that's very engaging, right? And what we see in the VR space right now is like all the developers either go in one of the two, like one of two categories. Either they're focused on a story and they present you, and Star Wars is a great example on the Oculus right now where they present you a fully immersive story of you being a character in the Star Wars saga and you want to do everything. But it's fairly limited of like what you can actually do, right? It's not an open world. You're basically a character in a movie, but like it's 360 all around and every, you can do whatever you want. And people love that. Like it's a great experience. And I think that's something where like the entertainment industry will also like look into the future. Or you go into the other buckets where you're actually like thinking of like, yes, you have a proof of concept, but how do you actually make a service of it, right? So like, how do you utilize the hardware um, into making something that's uh, really usable? And like, I, again, like I draw very big parallels here to the mobile industry where having GPS in a smartphone enabled a ton of stuff from like navigation to transportation, um, and that wouldn't be possible if GPS wouldn't be like uh, a component of your, of your smartphone. So I think it's like people are very much exploring like that. Like one of the big things and this is a very actually very funny one and like cuz I've tried this cuz I'm a very much afraid of heights is uh, people are using VR now to actually get like rid of their fear of heights because you can actually get an app where you walk on a plank and because you're in a VR space it feels so realistic that you're just like walking in a plank in the middle of manhattan like across the skyscrapers and it's horrifying but you actually it really works because you convince yourself in your mind that this is real and you're actually like you're conquering your fear so and you're shaking and you're trying to cling on to the floor and everything so it's super immersive and like i think it's like it's generally just like really fun same Mm -hmm. goes for roller coasters for example
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I've done one of the roller coaster ones and that you, you definitely feel your stomach dropping out. but I want to come back to to um a question that Ethan asked earlier about the the challenges just as you've gone through this I, I think the biggest challenge that i'm that I'm seeing with this and you know correct me if if I'm wrong with it, but it like this this idea that oculus and and some of these VR platforms, the other ones don't don't support subscriptions very easy easily yet in in the kind of fitness world subscription is the model and so and then then you add on top of that 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 trial doesn't really work in there and so you know to be able to charge enough money to get someone to yeah, to, to to essentially be able to to have a lifetime value on these customers that 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 funds a lot of the different components of the business, that just that seems really hard to get those pieces working. Um, like, oh yeah, how are you overcoming that?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's very challenging. Like, if we strictly talk about like numbers, right? And like, if you think about it purely with with a, a date with your data hat on, like considering we charge a one-off fee and then yes, we do try to upsell you like downloadable content packs for like more workouts, but technically strictly data looking, like if you're a super active user and you haven't bought any of like the the downloadable content packs, your lifetime value is actually diminishing over time for us because you are a cost to us, right? You're the cost to the business, yet we don't generate any more revenue from you, right? So naturally it doesn't, doesn't incentivize of like, oh, we should retain you for a very long time. And I think that's also like part of like one of the downsides of the industry. There is no that like full recurring um, revenue streams where like developers would be focusing on um, like retention so much. So currently it's more like, again, proof of concept. Hey, pay $10, $20 here and you have the game. And That also comes from like purely from the game world, right? Gaming like paying for upfront for a game is so kind of like the norm, uh, but we also have seen that massively being challenged in the last ten years, right? With League of Legends being a free game, Fortnite being a free game, and still like generating a ton of revenue. And I think that will naturally like occur, um, and I think like Oculus will like support different business models in the future. Mm -hmm. It's a question more of a time, not if. It
0: feels like they need to do that pretty quickly. But I I do hear from what you're saying, the upsells are at least something that you can have kind of an entry point and then then additional ways to generate revenue over time.
2: Yeah, and I think like over time as well, like VR space, again, drawing parallels with mobile. Like I generally believe majority of the apps will at some point probably become more freemium and figure out like a business model that kind of like caters towards them. Um, and it's very similar like, to where games on mobile apps were at the beginning, right? It was a one-off fee, or maybe it was a freemium and you paid for a non-ad version of it, where now like, the biggest games are very much gamified and with in-game currencies, fairly complex from, like, from the inside of how they're running, but presented very simple to the user. I think we're definitely like, at some point going to head into that direction.
0: Now you've inspired you've inspired me to want to uh, track down whoever runs the platform for Oculus and try to get them on the show because it's super, sure. <laughs> uh, be an interesting interview or conversation with them for sure.
1: Go ahead, Ethan. Oh, so, definitely, Nick. It sounds like it's a good time for us to jump in a little bit deeper into how you guys are organized for growth. You told us a little bit about the team, but can you tell us how growth happens? You know how product marketing and growth are separated throughout the organization.
2: Yeah. So. We're still a 60-something-person team, right? So that kind of like provides its own challenges, which is primarily like where do we focus on? Uh, we have a million things we could be doing, but we need to pick up like the things that are gonna like move the needle for us. Um, but at the same time, it also like ensures that we can be quite fast, we can be quite nimble, and we have quite flexible teams. So definitely like work in agile Kanban way, where we actually organize the teams based on features that are upcoming on our product roadmap. And in those kind of like, we can call them cross-functional teams. We just call them teams. We have a representation from marketing. We have a representation from from product that usually leads that team as a product owner. And we have like also engineers, art, in some cases, even finance, uh, if that's a specific kind of like use case. Uh, And we definitely like seen, that seems to be like a model we, enjoy doing and we have the velocity of like pushing out features and at the same time it's also like we don't um, stifle the innovation is essentially as well so on the big top scale we have a product roadmap that's more theme based where we figure out our what's the biggest priority is it like acquisition is it retention Um, And what are our big bets, right? Is that either like a new studio, for example, and that would be like, we only had box, now we have box and dance. Is that another studio we wanna work on? Is that something completely different? Is that a DLC pack, for for example, from an upsell perspective? And based on that, we formed then teams, right? So who do we need from from an engineering background in that team? Who do we need from a product background? Who do we need from the marketing background? So pretty much everybody in the company kind of like has Two reporting lines, like one from one to your function leader, and then the other one dotted one with whoever is the product lead or product owner, essentially as we call it internally, of the feature you're currently working on for that quarter.
1: That sounds like a great way to protect against silos. Is is there a, a single metric that you guys use to try to align the teams, like uh, and along the mission? Yeah, we
2: definitely we fully follow like the north star. So each team that we we. Plan quarterly uh, with a whole leadership team um, and we fund these teams and we call them like, we actually, we fund them. Um, and each team gets a north star metric, right? So you have the autonomy to build whatever you guys in the team think will move the needle, but you need to move the needle by uh, a certain amount of like certain amount of percent. Uh, for us, that currently is very much part of like acquisition. So how do we get more users? And the other part is definitely around um, ratings. So we call them ratings, and that's kind of like our app store ratings. That's something we're very, very careful uh, around, and we monitor consistently because we think as a one-off uh, payment uh, game right now, like the, gaming, uh, the rating mechanic is so important for us because it identif- like, people identify it with, oh, are you worth for me to spend my money on you, or I'll spend it with somewhere else? And if you have the same rating as someone, like they most probably will go with the cheapest option because they are just exposed to like less of a risk. So something that we want to improve, like our core features that we improve our rating is definitely very close to our heart right now.
0: Yeah. So how do you see the organization evolving over time? I mean, partly like how has it evolved over the course of this year, for example, and with this big round of funding that you've gotten, I'm assuming... Hiring is going to be part of that. Maybe, maybe we've got some other places where you're going to spend. That would be interesting as well to know. But um, how how do you see that that organization evolving?
2: Yeah, I think we're like we're almost going to like turn at some point into more of a content powerhouse, um, and we definitely see a version where we're going to have a core game mechanics as its own probably separate unit. And then we're going to have like a big content team that's going to be producing a lot more workouts. Um, that's something that like we definitely want to like foster because we know producing great workouts like engages people a lot more, right? And we figure out the instructor part of like our, uh, our app as well. Like that's going to be like the department that's going to be mostly empowered by data out of qualitative or quantitative. So we definitely think we need to um, even grow our content kind of like creation. We call them content creators, but essentially they are our instructors that actually choreograph uh, each workout. Uh, and that's definitely like I would almost say in a year's time, we're gonna be seen more as a content company than almost as a kind of like a game uh, because we need to gonna need to produce so much content for like our user base to be still be retained and engaged.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you see? Do you see that uh, additional content being uh, more premium upsells? So that that until you know up, up until the point where the subscription parts become available on Oculus, it's a it's a way to extend that lifetime value, or or just simply simply a, a retention mechanism within the existing price.
2: We'll see. I I definitely I always answer this question with our community will guide us. Like we're going to listen very closely to our community and like what they will tell us interests them. And based on that, we'll we'll take that on board and then we'll kind of like evaluate all of of our options. But we definitely see more content just drives. We've run like growth experiments with this. Uh, The more content we release, the higher the engagement actually is.
0: Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So. Why don't you know? We're getting toward the end here. Why don't you kind of take us through the path of how most people discover uh, the, the the product FitxR, and then how what what's that path look like from kind of aha moment to becoming a raving fan who who spreads the word about it?
2: Yeah. Um, so most of the people that currently discover us are either through referrals through from our community, and those are like completely organic referrals. Or they're either like browsing on the Oculus app store or the Steam store on the PSVR store. And they actually like find looking for a workout or looking for a box based uh, workout. And they actually find us like that. They look at our reviews. We definitely see like I've spoke about this. We know this that they actually very much read about our reviews quite a bit. Um, We're not a free product where you first kind of like download and then look at the reviews. Um, very much a reverse kind of like psychology, um, and then once they enter the game, we really kind of like want to guide them through currently both of our studios. So we give you a full-fledged tutorial of how like what your stance should be, how should you actually punch, so that you're actually in a safe environment. We've had some mishaps of like customers <laughs> reporting broken like light shades or yeah. broken glasses. Or, that would be like, me. <laughs> or punching walls. Like there is, there is a famous picture of somebody actually making a hole in the wall, which uh, does happen. Uh, people get very feisty in, in games. <laughs> um, but it's, we kind of like we try to make you like, we want to make you as safe as possible. Uh, it's really kind of like I enjoy the workout. And then we really want to like our aha moment is just the workout. It's so gamified that you actually want to do because what we see is that a lot of people when they enter the game, they're skeptical. They're, they're like, see it more. This is a proof of concept. Oh, it's great for boxing. And then when they do it for like three or five minutes, they actually see, oh, I'm really exhausted after this. This is something that's like, it's really engaging and fun but it actually really feels like working out. So most people actually discover us as a proof of concept and then they actually grow of like, oh, this could be potentially my main source of exercise. And they become like what we call internally super active users for us. Um, And we see like uh, that aha moment is a certain amount of games, which I can't say like publicly how much that is in a seven day period. Like similar how Facebook had 10 days in seven days, we have a similar metric just for us. It's just like how many classes you complete in, in a seven-day period.
1: So you, you've told us a couple times throughout the conversation how important the community has become in this. What's sort of the aha moment where the user enters the community? Like what's usually the first thing they start talking about in the community and how does that sort of evolve?
2: <laughs> very good question because the first and most prominent thing is that people when they discover the community is um either they love to have really long streaks and i'm talking about like streaks of punches of 100 to 200 or even more uh we've seen people that like have a workout that has a thousand like cues to punch and they complete 100 percent accuracy it's quite insane um and one of the main causes, like uh, main use cases for the community is actually people going like, oh, have they actually changed like what the, uh, the streak mode is or have they adjusted anything? Because I swear I actually punched through it either fast enough and I hit the queue, but my streak went down to zero. So what's going on? Like, who knows the insides? So and there's like the whole philosophical debate happens in the comment section where People are saying, look, no, they haven't updated anything. People are saying they definitely have updated. And like, oh, your battery is low in your like controllers. It's very like disengaging where people try to figure out like what is really like the issue of the whole thing. But it just drives this like it's it gives us like this really good thing that like people really love to doing to a degree where they're like obsessed about like something that has happened and might have missed the queue like for real, but they're like so passionate about it. that they actually want to get like, oh my high streak has now been like messed up because of that.
1: That's awesome. And it's amazing to see people just really engaging and loving the product at that level. So we're running out of time here as Sean said. So we always have one last question uh, we'd like to ask before we wrap up. And that's, what do you feel like you understand about growth now that maybe you didn't understand coming into this role? Um. It's definitely like I think the community part, like
2: listening, being so close to the community um, has been something that I've never been that close. Like I've always been like more on the like partially more on the marketing side of growth uh, than on on the product side of growth. But even when I was on the product side of growth, um, yes, you get user interviews and qualitative data. But here we actually like interact on a day to day basis with our community. To a point where uh, product leads and product managers, and even in some cases engineers, go into like the our Facebook group and actually answer uh, comments. So we get like direct feedback, and that's something that's been so informative to our product roadmap that our product backlog is incredibly long, and I don't think if we, like if we ever ever gonna get through it. So it makes our life. Very easy, but at the same time, very hard of like what feature or what theme of features should we actually work next? Because we get so much kind of like direct feedback. So very fortunate to kind of like to have like a very kind of like active community.
0: Yeah, I think I think feedback is uh is an underrated um it, it driver of just really good decisions whether they're product decisions or growth decisions or you know pretty much every decision in the business can be really informed if you if you have a good way of collecting and and deciding which feedback you're going to act on. But um so so some of the the key takeaways that I get through this conversation and again this is the first time that we've talked to anybody who's um who's, who's building in VR. So uh, there's a lot of really interesting, um, takeaways for me. The probably the biggest one is just the, the advantages of being early in a platform. You know, people, people have not built habits necessarily within that platform. So they are a lot more exploratory for, for new things that they can do. We we've, we've talked about that, um, you know, if you're in, in growth on a new platform, if you can figure it out before other people, you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of benefits there. But obviously, new platform also comes with challenges. So um, all the things that we've talked about from from, uh, you know, not having a trial to not having subscription. Um, but hopefully if you can if you can establish yourself and, and really build a good foundation that as the platform matures, you'll be in a really good position to to own. Um, fitness on, on VR. So then another piece that, that jumps out to me is the, um, is, is just basically that your price I looked up during this call was, uh, is looks like it's $29 to get started. And in, in games that may be expensive VR games, I know I've gotten some great VR games for free, but for fitness, a one-off $29 fee is a really cheap fitness program if you if you can make that work for yourself. So ju- just like uh, you know a lot of other subsidized industries that are building kind of an audience that they hope to over time build a really valuable business around. It seems like an awesome opportunity for anyone who's looking for a new way to approach fitness. Um, that uh, you know that's it's pretty cheap to get started.
1: Yeah, I think my one other takeaway would just be, you know, you've really hammered home the importance of community. And it seems like your community is really reflective of your product market fit. And it's then therefore part of that engine and it's driving your growth. So it's really interesting. And again, just as Sean said, VR is at its infancy, but it seems like when subscription comes to to these platforms, the opportunities for you guys will just explode. Yeah, definitely.
0: And so I personally am going to definitely... Go out and uh, and and try this, and if it's uh, as good as I expect it to be, I'll be um, I'll be one of your many customers. So thank you, <laughs> thank you, Me Nick, too. so much. For, yeah, for taking the time. Um, this is it's been great um, learning about how you're scaling Fit Fitxr, and I will be even more excited to see what you do going forward because it, it sounds like you've got some, some great things ahead. So thank thank you for sharing all of that with us, and for everyone uh, listening, thanks for tuning in. Thanks,
2: Nick. Thanks for having
1: me. Thanks for listening to the breakout growth podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, subscribe. So you never miss a show until next week.